Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Ephesians chapter 5, and let's begin over at verse 25 through 30. Now, in this portion of Scripture, there are many different things that get shared, but he's talking about husband-wife relationships. He's talking about our relationship with Jesus Christ. So in verse 25, it starts out and says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. All right, let's go ahead and stop there for a moment. Christ gave himself for the church. Christ gave himself for all mankind. Unfortunately, in our world today, we have a lot of different pressure that comes on families. And you need to know this, that every attack that tries to harm your family in any way is from the devil. God is always rooting for you. God's always wanting you to be blessed. And what happens is sometimes in the family units that we are surrounded by in our neighborhoods, in our community, we see that families get attacked. Sometimes divorce happens. Sometimes a child is born without having both parents in the home. All kinds of different things take place. Let me just tell you something. No matter what the family makeup in your family is, Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants you to be blessed in everything that you do. And the best thing that can happen is for a family to have unity together. Now, if a family has unity together, it's important that they start to pray together, that they read the word, that they share their hearts and their thoughts with each other. So we hear about this husband-wife relationship. Now, when you've got a husband and wife that are both hitting on all eight cylinders, oh, wait a minute, they don't make cars like that anymore, do they? On four cylinders at the most six, and if you can find a good one, eight. Does your Dodge have eight? Six. And it's considered a muscle car. They used to have them, you know, when gas was 29 cents a gallon. And for you that don't remember that, stop it. I saw a movie the other day that was on, <laughs> and it was really dating itself because the gas signs that were going by as they were doing this car chase said 95 cents a gallon. Do you remember when everybody thought that would be the end of all mankind? Boy, it would be nice to have 95 cents come back, wouldn't it? Here we're talking about husband-wife relationships. And in different portions of Scripture, the Bible talks about Christ being the husband, being the groom, and the church being the bride who is there for 
the bridegroom. And it talks about it in a love relationship because Christ sacrificed all for us. See, in any kind of a home, in a relationship as husband and wife, you sacrifice for each other. That's part of the plan that's there. When you make covenant with each other, you promise that you will be there. Now, Jesus never intends to break that covenant. Even if you've been in a relationship where that has happened and been broken, I'm here to tell you this, don't give up on the true meaning of love. Don't give up on what God's word speaks of here because this husband-wife relationship is a picture of what's supposed to happen between us and the Lord. Jesus said, I'd never leave you or forsake you. Amen? So knowing this, it speaks here several different ways to describe it. It says, not having spot or or wrinkle, holy and without blemish, glorious, specific love, all these sacrificial love languages that are spoken because Jesus Christ loves you. We are members of his body. Christ is the head of the body. Now being the head, he means that he is also the head of the church. So we know this, that if we'll follow the Lord, he will help the church to walk in unity. He will help the church to walk in the power of God. He will help us to be in God's plan and will. First of all, because the Lord is faithful. He's faithful, but he wants us to be faithful also. He wants us to experience his love and his power. And in a lot of different places today, we don't find faithfulness really being taught. It doesn't just happen automatically. Most of the time it's modeled in front of us. Sometimes it's modeled by our parents or our grandparents. Other times it's modeled by our preachers or teachers. It can be by the people in the community, the leaders that are around us. In our world today right now, it seems we see one moment on Facebook, you can see a post of great things that uh, police officers are doing, and the next moment you see something on Facebook, the police officers made bad decisions. But we still know this, that we're a land of laws. That's something that changes compared to every other part of the world. I'll never forget when we had Pastor uh, Raul here as he came up from Haiti and talked to us and shared some things. And then Pastor Abdul from over in Sierra Leone talked and was talking about what they had observed since they had been in America. And when we picked him up at the airport, one of the things that he said was as we were traveling and we stopped at intersections, he said, does everybody follow the law? Because any of you that have been on mission trips with me or you've been in other countries, you know that not everybody stops at stop signs. Some countries, it's sort of a pause and go type of thing. Other times, it's go with your horn blasting. When we were down in Peru, I remember looking at Manuel Gutierrez, and we were going through an area, and here were three lanes, and the cars were five across. You know, you could reach over and scratch your neighbor's nose. That's how close they were. But everybody just drove with their horn all the time. And I looked at Manuel. I said, you can't drive without a horn down here. He said, horns are very important. And you heard every kind of horn blast you can imagine, you know, that was taking place there. And it's one of those things that we have all grown up in this country respecting certain laws. So when we see laws get broken, it really bothers us. And yet we're living in a time in our history that it seems like to some folks, laws don't mean anything. You don't have any respect for anybody in authority. You're just there to please yourself. Well, this sacrificial love that we're talking about between a husband and wife, you're never there just to sacrifice your, uh, or I should say, you're never there just to get everything for yourself. You're there to sacrifice for the people you love.
Jesus sacrificed everything on the cross for us. He paid for our sins. He paid for what took place from the beginning of time all the way till the future to that moment that Jesus comes again. He paid for the sins of mankind. Can I get an amen? Now, knowing that, it helps us to appreciate him. It helps us to build a love relationship with each other. Listen, our, our world puts so much pressure on teenagers today and kids to try to make them think that they are adults. The good news is, if you're a child, if you're a teenager, enjoy it. Adulthood comes quick enough. It's sort of like that time when Christmas comes around and you know where you used to get all kinds of toys and Legos and other things like this and all of a sudden Christmas comes around and you get socks. And you think to yourself, what did I do bad? Now, of course, as you get older, you can put on your list and if you're, you know, in, in your golden years, you can put down you want toys and everybody will give them to you because you're going through your second childhood. It's one of those things, isn't it, that as life changes, it seems that more responsibility comes on all of us. And as you get a little bit older, you're expected to do more. You're expected to show more, to give more, to care more, and to sacrifice. God's all about sacrifice, but he's also about joy. And today I want to talk to you about that joy of the Lord. I want you to understand that even over these next few months, while things are coming up for family events and activities, you need to know the joy of Jesus Christ is there for you. God loves you. And you're going to hear me say that probably 20 or 30 more times yet this morning because sometimes we know that he died for us, but sometimes we all feel a little bit unlovely. Something comes up, we do something. And before you know it, we start feeling unworthy. Now, it's okay to repent and call out to God. It's okay to feel like you need to repent. That's a good thing. But then you need to forgive yourself because Jesus forgave you, because he loves you. And at times, we have a hard time letting go of our own mistakes, our own bad choices, our own sins, because we think, I, I should do something here. I, I should try to undo this. Some things can't be undone. Some things are just better left in the past. Some things you can change. But you've got to do it with divine order and God's plan. Stay in the book of Ephesians, and, and let's look in chapter 4, probably just a page over or so in your Bible. But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. Ephesians 4, verses 13 through 16. Now the word says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness or deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Boy, there's a lot right there. It's talking about body relationships. It's talking about family relationships. It's talking about the church relationship. We are not to be immature children when it comes to the things of God. Because when we are immature, that's when Satan tries to trip us up. 
Now, sometimes if we're committing sin, we can become blinded to what really needs to happen. And before you know it, we do something so many times, we don't even think of it as sin anymore. So we don't repent because we have justified it. We have tried to find a way around it, and we have convinced ourselves it's not that big of a deal. But yet, we have to know that the more you're in the Word, the more that you're praying and seeking God, the more you'll open up to Him and hear His voice. It's like you've been given this power. You've been given this authority by God that if you will seek Him, He will manifest Himself to you. But... If you want to keep God at a distance and say, hey, Lord, I'm going to see you every Sunday morning at 10, but during the rest of the week, I'm doing my own thing. Can you do that? Well, people do that sometimes. They have a church attitude and a church face, and then they have a world attitude and a world face. But I have to tell you, when you give your heart to Christ, actually, he owns all of it. Now, the hard part is, how do we blend it together? How do we get the things of God that we do here in church or in other activities and the things of the world, how do we bring it together? That in itself is the miracle power of God. You have to find ways to bring Christ into every part of your life, into your school life, into your work life. You've got to find ways to bring Christ into your daily conversation. If you are somebody who carries on in your uh, language and it's not always something good that everybody should hear, how do you bring that in? Well, it's going to be step by step. It's going to be how your mind gets renewed. You've got to be training yourself in the things of God. Think about this. When was the last time you said, praise the Lord, and you weren't in church? When was the last time you gave God glory? When was the last time you had something happen and you went, Hallelujah. You know, sometimes people, especially today, if, if you watch on some of these movies that are coming out, and the ratings are not usually something guilt, uh, geared for families, but you'll even hear young people today when they're talking, and the F word gets used all the time. And it's so mixed in with everything, they don't really even seem to know what it means. F and this, F and that, F and F and F and F and F and and, and you think to yourself, do you guys even know what you're saying? But it's become a byword. And because it becomes a byword, it's nothing big to them anymore because everyone talks that way that they hang out with. I saw a quote that the moment I saw it, I wrote it down in my notes here. Let me pull it up and uh, share it with you. Keith Moore, who pastored down in Branson, Missouri, said this, uh, made this statement. He said, govern the amount of time you spend with people with how much you want to be like them. Listen to it again. Govern the amount of time you spend with people with how much you want to be like them. Think about the folks that have influence over you, the people that you're around all the time. Think about the way that they live and they talk and they act. Do you know within our church we have groups and we have subgroups? There's the overall body of Christ, and then there's different groups that get together and do things. For example, the Tuesday night meal people. Right, they come in and cook up the meal. They serve people on Tuesday nights, and we give away our free meal. Now, some of those same people that are a part of that subgroup are also a part of the group that goes down and works at the Oasis. But not everybody who works at the Oasis works in the kitchen for the Tuesday night meals. Not everybody who works in the Tuesday night meals works in the Sunday school classrooms teaching and helping and training children. And the list could go on and on and on with all the different things that take place. For the people who clean and do things here within our facility, 
there's lots of different groups and subgroups. It's not that we try to pull people apart, but it's what happens is they begin to build friendships and relationships that way. Just like the ladies' fellowship. They were together and they were writing notes and letters that they sent off to the different missionaries' wives. And, and, and we heard back from Diane Vargas. She got her stuff that was sent out the other day, the scarf and all the cards and the letters that went out there. They had just got back from the Philippines. And she was so blessed. And the comment she made on the note that she had sent back, uh, that uh, she had received everything, she said, I got a good report from the doctor. Do you remember several years ago, she wasn't able to go on the trip to the Philippines because she was fighting cancer, but she got another good report, hallelujah, Jesus is alive. And so there are groups that meet also, just like the Circle of Friends group. Now, the Circle of Friends is a group of ladies that are mature ladies within our church that love to get together and have fun. When I see Carolyn and some of you coming in when you do your monthly meetings and they decorate, you know, not everybody decorates, but that group decorates. They like to have the table looking fancy. They like to have costumes and outfits. They have Hawaiian nights. They have, what, Western nights. You have all kinds of fun things that they do. They have a good time. Sometimes uh, we'll be back at our house, and we'll know that that's going on on that third Saturday night in here. And we can look out the front window, and the lights are still on the fellowship hall. Why? Because the old gals are still going at it. <laughs> They're having a good time. See, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's like the worship team. Here's another subgroup that's there. It's important that you find a way to connect yourself with the church. If you want to be involved, we want you to be involved. If you want to say, now, stay this distance. I love you all, but I love you from a distance. You know what? We'll still love on you from a distance. If that's what you want, that's okay. All the teachers that work in all the different departments, it's important to know that you find something that you can do and connect yourself together. This kind of a love relationship is something that happens for every one of us if we'll open up to God. He's got gifts inside you. Share those gifts. Not all those gifts will happen here. Maybe you're going to be volunteering over at the Women's Choice Center over in Bettendorf. You know, I'm so excited. Uh, like we said to you last month, in January when it comes up, this mobile unit that they're going to be purchasing so they can bring that over on the Illinois side and make that counseling and availability to young women that are thinking about having abortions. Uh, I talked to uh, Vicki the other day, and I told her, here's our goal that we've been praying about. In January, we want to be able to raise $1,000 to give to you for the purchase of that bus. Us. And we've already told them they want to take one or two days a week and park it out here in the parking lot. Hallelujah. We've got the space. Let's use it for the glory of God. They've already saved over 600 babies being right across the street from the abortion clinic. How much more can we be able to help and love, especially on women that feel abandoned, feel that they don't have any place to turn, feel especially if the fella has walked out of the picture, we want them to know that God still has a plan for them. So here's all these things that we can do. I see this word, and it speaks here to us to speak the truth in love. You know, you've got to be honest before the Lord because he already knows what's in your heart. God's not looking for perfect people, but he is looking for people that will say, here am I, Lord, use me. Anything you've got going on in your life, give it over to God. If you're a grandma, give it over to God. If you're a grandpa, give it over to God. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. So that tomorrow morning, when you get ready for work or school or anything else that goes on, and you've got plans that are coming up, 
Listen, give it to God. Say, Lord, this is your day. I'll rejoice in you. Let him bring blessing about in your life. Christ is the head of the church, just like we read here. And the whole body is knit and joined together. What? By what each one supplies and brings. It's an investment that goes on. We each have to put something into it. Corporate worship is different than just what you do at home. Most of you, when you're praying at home, you don't have another hundred people standing around you to, to worship with you. Let's say you're worshiping in the shower in the morning and you're just giving God glory and you're thinking, what was that chorus we did the other day? Lord, I magnify you. You turn your face up the shower. Lord, I Listen, I practiced this, so make sure. You're not going to look outside the shower curtain and see all of us standing there saying, boo. So the worship that happens at home is something that is between you and God. But the dynamic that happens when we're all together corporately worshiping is something amazing also. The Bible says one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. That means when it comes against evil, demonic spirits that are out there in the world, when we join together with our faith, something special begins to happen. What goes on here really is each of us bringing something to it. Our scout program with the Girl Scouts and with the Cub Scouts, each of those people who are in there leading those groups are putting something into it. See, what gets down to is this, and I said it about a year ago, and now a lot of people use the phrase all the time, you got to have some skin in the game. You got to have some skin in the game. You got to have something invested in this thing. You cannot just be on the sidelines and get the full joy out of it. Lots of people are on the sidelines. Man alive, there's certain joy that can happen out there on the sidelines. You can root for your team. But at the same time, there's nothing like the satisfaction of something you do yourself for the glory of God. Maybe it's ministering to your neighbor and nobody else is going to know about it. They get out of the hospital. They don't have anybody there to help them. Maybe you made a crock pot of food and took over to them so that they'll have food that day. Or a pie that you've taken over to them or something like that. You see, you made an investment in those relationships together. I was watching last night, Tanya and I, uh, we went ahead to each of the three locations that were going on for uh, the Light the Night event. And it was fun to watch, not only as the children and youth were helping in each of the places, but it was fun to watch the adults that were there too because they were standing and they were talking and they were sharing. You see what they were doing, they were solidifying their relationship together. They were talking with each other. You have to spend time together to build any kind of a relationship. Now, that's just mandatory. You can't get around that. You've got to have some time together that way. Now, the good part is when you invest time, something's going to come back to you. This causes growth, the Word says, when each of us brings something to the table, when we each find a way to add into each other's life. What will it do? It causes growth and it edifies the church with love. Every one of us can use a little extra love. Can I get an Amen. Every one of us can have the power of God flowing through us. See, look in the same chapter, chapter 4 at verse 1 through 6 here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 starts out and says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of your calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
there is one body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. Now, take a look at verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Hallelujah. See, we've got a God who is more than enough. That he's pouring out his spirit out on the mission field in other nations, just like he's pouring out his spirit right here in the United States of America. And yet, have you ever noticed how, how many people try to get us to be divided? How some people try to get us angry with each other? When you're angry with each other, it's hard to walk in unity. So political things come up, and people get all upset about that. People find ways to be mad at this party or that party. How could you vote for them? And you say you're a Christian. People have this issue and that issue. The funniest cartoon I saw, it was a Republican cartoon. So if you're going to be offended, I'm telling you ahead of time. Trick-or-treaters were coming to the door to this one house. And as they went to the door and said, trick-or-treat, the man opened the door and he said, oh, all of your bags are so full of candy. I'm going to take some of that candy out of all of your bags and give it to the kids who couldn't go out trick-or-treating this year. And the one kid looks at his friend and says, oh, crap, we're at a Democrat's house. <laughs> now, Democrats, please still love me because I love the whole body of Christ. But I thought, you know what, now here that was up. I'm sure somebody got offended over that. Look at that. They're making fun of us, and we take care of everybody. you got to walk in love. If you're not careful, you will get offended by something. Pastor, I don't know if you were really joking up there when you said that. I'm offended. I worked for Hubert Humphrey years ago. Humphrey, Humphrey, he's our man. If Humphrey can't do it, nobody can. I remember that campaign slogan. Okay, I'm 55. All right, there you go. You don't remember, I robbed the cradle when I married you, sweet darling, love my life, cream puff baby doll. Walk worthy of your calling. You're called to be a child of God. Hallelujah, that's a pretty great thing. Being called a child of God, let's walk worthy of our calling. And when people try to divide us, let's look at them and say, you know what, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to be walking out of love. I'm going to keep walking in love. Hallelujah, because that changes everything. Walking in your calling that you're a child of God, it changes everything. I saw this story the other day that I want to read to you. Listen to it. The young man cowered in the corner of the jail cell. His last memories on the face of the earth were destined to be of this cold, musty cell block. His execution was scheduled for today. He sat silently, his hands locked around his knees. He heard the jingle of keys and the slow, steady rhythm of the jailer's footsteps in the hallway. He pressed back against the corner of the cell, feeling the icy tentacles of fear and despair. His heart pounded out a fast, unsteady beat. Could they be coming for him? The jailer reached his cell. The young man searched the jailer's face for some clue of what was happening. As the key grated in the lock, it reminded him of the bars that held him in. 
bars of guilt and shame. He knew he was guilty. He was a thief and a murderer. He had killed a man, and he deserved to die. The jailer's voice cut through his thoughts. Get up. You're free to go. What was he hearing? Could it be true? The jailer's voice came again. You're free to go. Could he believe it? Was it a trick? Slowly, he staggered to his feet. He stepped curiously past the jailer, fully expecting to be thrown back into the cell. The young man's pace quickened with each step down the hallway. He looked back only once to see if the jailer was pursuing him. But the jailer stood still by the empty cell. No one followed. No one stopped him. He was free to go, but why? As he left the jail, he found the street packed with people. He now had an idea why he had been he had no idea why he had been released, and he knew he had to find out. As he set out from the jail on his mission, an old friend rushed up to him. Hey man, we heard you were set free. All the guys want to go celebrate with you at our old hangout. Come on, let's go. The young man shook off the invitation. He said, no, I have some place I need to go. He pressed on through the crowd, and suddenly he heard the familiar voice of his little sister cutting through the rumble of the crowd. Mom and Dad sent me to find you, she yelled. They have a great party planned. When they found out that they were setting you free, we wanted to celebrate. But not even the desire to see his family could come before what he needed to do. No, he told her, I can't come. I have someplace I need to go. And he pushed on. Finally, he made it to the center of the crowd. And he tried to force his way through to the front, but his efforts were thwarted by the mass of onlookers. He could not get any closer. He was startled by the voice and a tap on his shoulder. Hey, aren't you Barabbas? What are you doing out of jail? He glanced back to see who spoke to him. Yes, he replied, I'm Barabbas. I was supposed to die today. I just wanted to see the man who took my place. Barabbas knew that ever so often the governor would release a prisoner in a political move to gain the people's favor. He realized now that he was the prisoner who had been released. Jesus of Nazareth was the man who had taken his place. Jesus took our place on the cross. He suffered and he died instead of us. He paid the price that we might be able to know God. Do you want to know him? Do you want your heart to overflow with worship for the one who took your place? It's interesting, isn't it, thinking about Barabbas? We all know the Bible story. We heard the things that were going on that day when they spoke up and said, give us Barabbas. We have no king but Caesar. Here he was, ready to be punished for his crime, and yet he was forgiven. I want to talk about the joy of the Lord. In the natural, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus paid it all for us. 
He paid it for me. He paid it for you. These verses we read said, walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of your Lord. He gave everything for each of us. Why? Because he loved you. That's the kind of love we're talking about today. Amen? Let's have you go over in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Now here's a little background before we read it. The Jews had been taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom at that time. And the king at that point, his name, of course, as I just mentioned, was Nebuchadnezzar. And he had a dream. And no one of his wise men or his soothsayers, the people that were fortune tellers at that time in his nation, could tell him what was going on. He called them all in. He said, here's my dream. Tell me what it means. And many of them all started to speak up. Oh, no, no, no one can know this meaning. It's something from a king. None of us can know it. He started getting mad at all of his wise men. And in fact, he actually sent his soldiers out to start killing his wise men. He said, if you can't tell me about this dream, you must not be real. Now, at that time, there were the Jews who were in captivity as Nebuchadnezzar had conquered and taken their land. And there were four guys in particular. One of them, his name was Daniel. The name that he had in the Babylonian kingdom was Belteshazzar. We'll just keep calling him Daniel. And then there were three other guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a guy who was looking for answers. And somebody came up once they started seeing that their own wise men in the kingdom of Babylon was now being killed. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've heard that there is a wise man from the Jews, and his name is Daniel. Let's go ahead and, and talk with him. Let's bring him here. So look with me now in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its width six cubits. And he set it up before the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word and gathered together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the judges, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps and the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace." 
So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and the lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, languages, fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's backtrack for a moment. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had that no one could interpret when Daniel came in, he told him what the dream was. He said, this dream represents these nations. And after this nation, there will be four other nations that will be a part of the history of this land. Each one will be less than what you have right now. But you that are the head, this Babylonian relationship, eventually you'll see how the rest of the body of this particular uh, warrior is to be with the kingdoms that will follow you. And you are the one who's to prepare for all of them. As soon as he heard the word that Daniel had spoken, he went ahead and said to him, no one else has been able to tell me what this vision stands for, what this dream is. He said, I make you now an administrator and a leader. And he said, those men that were helping you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, I'm putting them in charge of different provinces. Surely your God is God. And he has given you direction. And he has answered my prayer and my cry. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was not a believer in the one only God. In fact, he worshipped a lot of different gods. Some people say the statue that he put up was a statue of himself. Other people said that the statue he put up at that time was an image of Bel, which is called the demon god of the, of, uh, the Babylonian people. So now he's put up this idol out in the middle in this particular area of Babylon and told everybody, when you hear the music, everybody's got to bow to it because that is my God. Look on in verse 8, please. Therefore, at this time, a certain Chaldean came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke out and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the heart, the harp, uh, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set up over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar in, ra uh, then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at this time to hear, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in music, in symphony, with all kinds of music, and you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You know, every once in a while, somebody in leadership starts to think they're too big for everybody else. Nebuchadnezzar, even though God had blessed him being a heathen king, he blessed him because the Jews were there. And now there's a confrontation that's coming about. Verse 16 speaks up and goes on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hands, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, wait a minute. Some people look at this and they've said, wait a minute, they must have doubt and fear going on in them. Oh, no, no. Look at these words carefully. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looks at the king and says, we will not worship your God. We worship the one true God. He will be the one who delivers us, O king. But then verse 18 says, but if not... Why could they say the but if not so confidently? Because they knew they served the one true God. They knew the history of their family with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was asked to take his son that he had born in his old age out and sacrifice him before God. And you know the story that as he did that faithfully unto the Lord and he pulled his hand back to pull the knife and put it into his son, he could do that because he believed that God could raise him up because God gave the promise that he would be the father of a great nation. And why would God kill his son? But you see, everything on this earth has to have a moment where man acts in faith and then God moves supernaturally. See, faith's a part of everything. And while mankind fell into sin in the garden, God made it possible if they would believe, God would act. So just like Abraham was in faith and acted, now these guys have been raised up and taught the word. These guys knew what was going on. And they said, but if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God. It's not worth it to us, king, to worship a false God because we worship the one true God. I want you to get that same faith going inside you, to have a confidence that your God is the true God. He is more than enough. And when you stand in faith, faith believing, you will see his hand move supernaturally. Drop down to verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had been so grateful a few months before because they'd been part of the answer to his dream. And now, because they were contrary to him, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he spoke the command that they would heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 21. Then these men were bound in their coat, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king commanded, uh, because of the king's command, urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The soldiers, as they got close to the furnace, died because of the heat. In the natural, everybody should have died because of the heat of this thing that was going on. These soldiers that were supposed to take Shadrach, Meshach, I almost said macaroni and cheese. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men who were supposed to take these Jews who would not compromise and throw them in the furnace, they themselves were dead. And then it goes on and says, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. They didn't even have anybody to throw them in. They went into the fiery furnace. Why? Because they knew who their God is. 
Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the midst of the, into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the fiery furnace. You know he was at a distance because he always already saw his own men fricasseed. Saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Oh, baby. A manifestation of the Spirit of God was happening, and this guy was having a moment. This man who had built an idol and wanted everybody to bow to it, he changes his tune all of a sudden. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire. And I, there's nothing that tells us exactly what this thing looked like. It doesn't tell us that they could walk out of it. It doesn't say that there was a little two-foot lip. But can you imagine? They hadn't been burned at all in there, and now they're coming out of the furnace, the furnace that nobody else could get near to. In my brain, this is how I see it. I have nothing scriptural for it, okay? You see it the way you see it. God leaves it that way for us. I see them going up to this furnace and putting their hand on the edge and throwing a leg over crawling out, not hurt, hands not burnt from touching this thing. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Verse 27, the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. Remember, these were the guys that were jealous that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what was going on with the dream. These were the guys who turned them in. You know, sometimes people who are inferior in their faith will get mad at you because you have faith. Don't get discouraged. Keep believing God. See, everybody can be anything they want as they turn their faith over to the Lord. Do not be discouraged by someone who tries to put a wet blanket on your faith. It goes on and says, the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their heads was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not upon them. I was, as the chaplain for the Silver Fire Department, when Anchor Lumber was burning, I was down there helping the guys, taking things to them, supplies, water, anything I could do to make sure that the building was cleared. I was never in it, and I was at a distance from the fire. But when I came home and walked in the house, the vest and everything else that I had on, as I walked in, my family, after they heard everything that I shared with them and talked to them, they all said, you stink. My clothes smelled. I hung all those clothes out in the garage. I went out to my car because as the girls went home that night, they called back on the phone and said, just walking by dad's car, it really smells like smoke. Smoke gets into everything. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was not even the smell of smoke. They hadn't even been cooking any s'mores. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, for they 
have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Let's stop there for a moment. In the Hebrew, when it uses the word angel here, you need to know that it's only translated angel because they're referring to a spiritual being that they weren't sure who it was. But Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, it looks like the form of the Son of God. Now, how did he know that? What was going on spiritually at that time? I'm here to tell you Jesus has been here from the creation. When God said in Genesis, let us make man in our image and likeness, the Trinity was there at the beginning. So look what it finishes up with in verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made as ash heaps because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the provinces of Babylon. Hallelujah. Let's believe that tomorrow when you go to work, there'll be such a presence of God upon you when you go into school that there'll be such a presence of God upon you when the next attack of anything tries to come up anywhere you're going to be standing in faith and the people are going to say I believe that there is something going on for the God that Noah worships that the God that Sherry worships that the God that Andy worships that the God that Damie worships that the God that Rita worships, that the God that Sammy worships. And it can go on and on and on. Let us have a presence of God so big in us that we stand and say, it doesn't matter what happens in the natural. I will not turn my back on God. Hallelujah. There's great victory that comes as the people of God stand in faith believing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Jimmy, you can get the kids to come in for communion here in a moment. Worship team, why don't you come on up if you would. I love that story. There's so many good truths in the Word of God. But seeing how God is more than enough, seeing that God has a plan for every one of us, you can know this. There are people who will deny God. There will be people today that are religious, and they may go to church someplace, but they don't know the Lord. I want you to know you can know the Lord. All you have to do is let him into your life. He's not looking for perfect people. You know, sometimes people back off and say, you know, when I get my act together, when I quit doing this, when I quit doing that, then I'm going to come to church. God's not waiting for you to become perfect Jesus died for us just the way we are. But I want you to know him like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to have his presence with you so that the next time you go through the fiery furnace, you got Jesus locked in with you. Don't you love that scripture that says, take my yoke upon you for my burden is light? Just think about a yoke that two animals are put in. And you may see oxen that are put in a yoke. They have to be evenly matched together or else one would be pulling this way and dragging the other one if it was stronger. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. 
He's saying to you that when Christ lives in you, you are his child. You are filled with his glory and his power. And I'm here to tell you today that no matter what the weakness has been in your past, when Jesus hooks up with you, your past is left behind and God sees you as a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. Now, that doesn't mean we keep staying in sin. If you're in sin today, repent of it and get rid of it. It's that simple. And nobody needs to know about it. Put it under the blood. And then start a brand new life. God is all about new beginnings. He is all about changing our hearts. Would you go with me to prayer and just close your eyes and look in your, in your own heart. Nobody's going to be comparing you to anybody else. You're your own woman, your own man. Do you know Jesus? Is he truly your Lord and Savior? If he is not, you can ask him into your life and he will come in. For all of you that are believers, the Bible says even before you receive communion, you need to make sure you don't have unforgiveness going on in your heart. Have people wronged you? Have folks done things and, and you still sort of hold a grudge against them? Or maybe you were offended. You think you've let it go, but it, it still bugs you. This morning, I would like to ask you to go before God and say, Lord, I need your help to be able to forgive them, but I forgive them. Unforgiveness will keep your prayers from being answered. Unforgiveness will keep the blessings of God away from you. Unforgiveness will even make you sick, the Bible says at times. It'll cause all kinds of junk to come up if that unforgiveness is there. So as people are praying all around you, if that's going on, get it taken care of now and say, Lord, I need your help. Help me to forgive them. Why people are praying, if you've never let Christ into your life, would you say this prayer? and let him come into your heart today, it'll change everything. Just say, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Come into my life. I make you my Lord and my Savior. You died for me, and now I will live for you. If that's your prayer, you've been forgiven, paid for by the Lamb of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just take a moment and rejoice. While your eyes are still closed, just feel free. Lift up your hands and rejoice because Jesus loves you. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. You are so good to me. Hallelujah. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Stephen and Caroline, if you guys would come up. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.